Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. If you attended sixth grade anywhere in or near San Jose, there's a high likelihood that you've been to it. The largest collection of ancient Egyptian antiquities on public display west of the Mississippi the Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum. Peggy Tranlay visited as a teenager, but she still has questions. So many questions. Why San Jose? How did they get those mummies? <laughs> I mean, how did those mummies get out of Egypt? <laughs> and why is it not, I mean, maybe I'm mistaken, but why is it not better known? Well, that's a lot to unpack there, Peggy. To find the answers, we sent her to the museum with KQED's South Bay Arts reporter, Rachel Myro. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The first thing you notice when you arrive at the Egyptian Museum in San Jose's bucolic Rose Garden neighborhood is the fact it looks Egyptian. The entrance to the museum is lined with huge columns, potted papyrus, and rows of ram-headed sphinxes, just like the ones lining the processional road to Karnak. Then you open the giant brass-plated doors, and you see... Sixth graders. Lots and lots of sixth graders. We host 110,000 guests per year, and about 26,000 of them are sixth graders. That's Julie Scott, executive director of the Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum. As it happens, she's a practicing Rosicrucian, which is to say she's a member of a philosophical society that believes there's a spiritual transformative value to nerding out on ancient Egypt. I've um, been to Egypt 12 times now. There's always something fascinating to learn and discover. Rosicrucianism, in its modern form, bloomed around the turn of the 20th century, along with a host of metaphysical philosophies seeking to plumb ancient depths for fresh perspectives on the mysteries of life and nature. We'll dig into this more in a little bit, but suffice it to say that local Rosicrucians began collecting ancient artifacts in 1929 and just kept going. There's room after room of more than 4,000 statues and maps and mummies, human and otherwise. Oh, there's the baboon. I think we have to check out the baboon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> 
I think as a teenager, the animal mummies were the, the highlights of my first visit. Over the years, the museum has modernized to take advantage of advancements in science. Egyptologists have visited and reassessed various items. And even if modern science reveals some things were not what the original collectors thought they were, Scott says it's all good. It's all interesting. So this baboon, he looks, he is ancient, but he's not a baboon. We found after doing an x-ray of him that the body is actually a ceramic jar. And the Egyptians would do this, they would put just a small piece of an animal, say a part of a bone or some of their fur, in this votive offering, and that way they could make more votive offerings. To further the educational purposes of the collection, the Rosicrucians have also had a few replicas cast of famous items, like King Tut's golden sarcophagus and the Rosetta Stone. You want to see our tomb? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. There's also a tomb that is a composite replica of several real tombs in Egypt. The tomb is located at the end of a series of winding stairs, not unlike the line you travel through to get to the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. Ask people what they remember from their childhood visit here, and it comes down to the animal mummies and the tomb. In 1966, a team of Rosicrucian researchers went to Egypt and explored a number of tombs in the Beni Hassan region. And they recreated this tomb, which is most like the one of a man who was named Kunimhotep. Not a pharaoh, but a nomarch, like a modern-day governor. There are lots of thoughtful, even funny touches, like the sarcophagus in this tomb is missing because it was robbed, as so many ancient Egyptian tombs were. Also, the lighting is low enough to encourage young minds to think anxious thoughts. <laughs> uh, I have to say that this part of the museum always scared me as a, as a kid. <laughs> I can't imagine. I know it's such a. I mean, it's a dopey reaction, but it, it used it scared me. So I'm having just sort of flashbacks to being a scared young person down here. We beat a retreat to another gallery focused on the daily lives of ancient Egyptians. As you wander through the rooms, you're reminded of just how impressive, how sophisticated they really were. They brewed beer, as we do today. They worshipped cats, as we do today. They kept their coal, their black eye makeup, in cylinders that look just like mascara containers today. The museum is just the crown jewel in a complex that includes a planetarium and a research library with crazy ancient books from big names like Francis Bacon and Isaac Newton, who the Rosicrucians of today claim is their own. Isaac Newton had the largest collection of alchemical books in Europe, but he had to keep that private because uh, mystics at that time, they basically had to say, okay, I'm just focusing on science, I'm staying out of religion, you guys do your religious stuff, but he was very avid alchemist. So I'm not going to launch into a detailed assessment of Rosicrucianism here. Modern science does not support a number of key Rosicrucian concepts, such as alchemy, turning baser metals like lead into gold without a particle accelerator. The Rosicrucian website hosts a bunch of videos, allowing you to explore the ideas for yourself. And there is a lot to appreciate.
like this example of vowel sounds, a Rosicrucian form of meditation performed by a San Jose man in the Great Pyramid of Giza. Which is important in the Rosicrucian tradition because we don't see it as a tomb, we see it as an initiation chamber. That said, not everything is open to the public. Can I ask a goofy, another goofy question? When I came here with my friend's mom and my friend, we walked the grounds and she said, oh, this is where the order held uh, secret ceremonies. I don't know if she was just trying to entertain a bunch of teenagers, or is that something that you can confirm? Or, or <laughs> Well, we hold regular meetings for Rosicrucians that include a meditation and a discussion. They're private to only Rosicrucians. We wouldn't call them secret, but you have to be a Rosicrucian member to participate. That's held in our Grand Temple, which is the, for Rosicrucians, that's the spiritual headquarters. Scott says there are other big Rosicrucian centers in France and Brazil. The New Yorker who started this U.S. chapter wasn't particularly rich, but she says he was charismatic and persistent. He landed in San Jose because land was cheap here. Well, it was in the early 20th century. That and... People in this part of the world are so open to uh, other ways of, of thinking and, and learning, and especially to more than just intellectual learning and understanding. From the beginning, the Golden State has welcomed seekers, people keen to remake the world into something less rational and boring, into something more mystical and spiritually resonant. But if you're thinking Rosicrucianism is a religion, it's not. I know Rosicrucians who are Catholics and Buddhists and Jews and every religion that I'm aware of, uh, I've met somebody who is a practitioner of that religion. And there are also Rosicrucians who don't consider themselves religious at all. They consider themselves spiritual. Regardless, you don't have to believe to get the good out of the Rosicrucians' enthusiasm for ancient Egypt. Anne Austin is an Egyptologist and an archaeologist at Stanford who teaches a class called Egyptomania. She takes every class to San Jose. I think it's a great teaching collection, especially for people who are new to Egypt. Do they have ideas about uh, ancient Egyptian practices that veer from accepted gospel today? It's interesting because I think they're very open to a variety of interpretations of Egypt in a way that um, Egyptologists are less open. So we're not really open to thinking about past lives in Egypt. We're not really open to feeling a kind of spiritual direct connection with Egypt. I do, I do not feel a direct spiritual connection with Egypt. And the Rosicrucians, it's fair to say, do. Peggy's assessment? It's just as I remember it and just as great. And I mean, I feel like I come away from it with just as many questions. It is fascinating. That story was brought to us by KQED South Bay Arts reporter Rachel Myro. Peggy Tranlet, thank you for asking this week's question and venturing back into that scary tomb for us. We've got KQED's politics team lined up to answer your questions about California civic life and government. Do you have a question for them? Head over to baycurious.org to ask. Next week... And uh, that's why... Put the shotgun right between his shoulder blades. I said, don't move. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. KQED.
Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.